Friday edition here of the old Radio Ranch, and uh, I guess Brent will check in with us. I know he's around. Not only is he a shut-in, but we've been exchanging some messages. Chris joined us right as we started, as is his habit most of the time. Here comes Brent coming in. Let's see. And because he's calling in on Skype, we'll merge him right in seamlessly and shouldn't be any problem. Hey, Brent. Morning. Morning, sir. Uh, here we go. I was just getting started, getting us kicked off here. Uh, People's Patriot Network is our platform, and uh, it's the Friday edition, 17th of April, uh, and a couple of days after the Holy Day of Retribution, and a couple of days before a pretty big, important day on our Patriot calendar, if you will. And it's always great to have Brent here and get his views and observations and connect us back to root spiritual very important connections and welcome back again brents i guess we've been doing this thing about best of my knowledge about five years and i don't think in that five-year period of time except when i was in the hospital and a couple of those other times you had court commitments that judges sprung on you and even then we shifted it around and pulled in a, a thursday show there are very few weeks we've missed on this in a mighty long time no, that's right. I, I'd be guessing if I said five years, but I remember when Paul called me. I didn't know him, and he probably was wondering who I was. And we talked quite a, a long time. I remember I was sitting in a parking lot in Kalispell, Montana, and uh, seemed like yesterday. But five years goes pretty quick at my age, and. Uh, We've been doing this. You'd think we'd get all talked out and wouldn't have anything else to say, I suppose, but that doesn't seem to work out that way. Um, you know, yesterday I sent you, uh, for the audience, I, I've been deliberating on whether to play this thing in its entirety, but I want to talk about it and certainly put the link up and available to people. But Glenn, my surviving teacher, dug up an old interview with John Benson, our deceased, both of our deceased teacher, on back when he was promoting his book and going into the tax system and everything. And I hadn't listened to anything with John's voice in a number of years. It was quite uh, uh, emotional for me just to hear him. But I did send that out to a few people, and I know I sent it to you, Brent. Did you get a chance to listen to that or any of it? No, Rod. I, I think you sent that out. Well, it was pretty recently. I'm trying to think of an excuse why I didn't, but yeah. I saw well. it this morning put it that way. Uh, it's, uh, I haven't gotten through all of it. It's exclusively on the tax system and his book, Taxation by Misrepresentation. In fact, if you want to go a, get a jump and you do want to listen to this and a couple of reasons for nothing else than to hear John and hear his, uh, his command of facts is, is just incredible in the history here, but it's on YouTube and it starts out uh, taxation by misrepresentation, which was the title of their book. I don't think that's available. We ought to make it. I've mentioned it to Glenn somehow get that where that book's available because the information in there is incredibly important. John felt it was important enough. If you could ever mobilize the masses and have them understand what's going on, we could change the political structure in the country. Now I know how big a pipe dream that was. 
uh, because I've been dealing with something far simpler and even more inclusive than taxes, and you just can't get people's attention. Our time will come, though. But his command of the facts and the way he laid that out and the basic information on the tax system, uh, statute staple and statute de mercantoribus and how the whole thing developed uh, is very instructive if you've never heard it. It's, listen, it's not the most exciting information i mean tax law has got to be brent you've done tax work it's got to be the most laborious aggravating frustrating redundant chase your tail activity that one can pursue okay and oh man it's overwhelming how sophisticated the useful idiots of the evil empire can get and how intricately their minds will work to fill their lusts and when it comes to fill and lust, people will, their minds will work like steel traps because yeah. it's what they want. Yeah. And so don't think that they're stupid. It's not that they're stupid. Oh, no, no, it's no, just no. that they're in, they're wrongheaded, incurably wrongheaded, just like an animal. Um, Glenn yeah. came up with a quote. It was a real important political guy back in the 40s. In fact, he, he left the Senate and they came back and demanded he come back and rule the Senate. I don't remember what his name was. He was talking about running for president and stuff, but he was very important back there, especially in the physical part of it. And he had a quote that they dug up. He said, every year we sit down at the Ways and Means Committee and we draft a simplicity on the tax system. Every year we send it over to Treasury. And every year, they send us back something that King Solomon and all of his wise men could not interpret. Yeah. yeah. Hogwash. Boy, you know, when you start in on things like that, and you're younger. I was younger once, obviously. And uh, I had people trying to teach me about things like that that I had agreed to submit to when I went to law school. And it was overwhelming. I mean, you almost sit down and just... If you were younger, you would cry if you were a boy, but you couldn't, you couldn't sort through it. And then as, as you get older, then you work with it and you go to court and you just, well, just life itself, it reduces to simplicity. And once it reduces to simplicity, I say to myself, why didn't these bozos tell me this? Is this because they wanted to have a job and make people think that they were smart and yep. that they were, and this is true, and that they were um, indispensable. Their brains are indispensable in all the intricacies that they've built in their brains. And it is true. It is true that law professors and then the lawyers that they produce have an intellectual arrogance that is beyond human comprehension of most people. Matter of fact, it's beyond their own human comprehension. They really do believe, and it becomes a, a priesthood. I've got something you don't. I have secret knowledge. It's very, the very basis of the ancient Gnosticism, of which Babylonian Judaism and Romanism and Islam, all three are. They are fundamentally what the ancients called Gnosticism. Of course, all the other, we call them secret religions. And to take the truth, such as the Bible, take, for an instance, Babylonian Judaism, it takes the truth, such as the Bible, and then it overlays it with what they call the real truth. Well, that's what Romanism has done also with their scholasticism, and all of it is scholasticism. All of it 
just to use another worn word, it's intellectualism. It is worship of the mind. We go beyond what God has said, what true law is, and we have we have the ability to understand it in the Bible, as Judaism says, the Bible is for women, children, and idiots. Women, children, and idiots, it's good, but it's for women, children, idiots, and the the beasts, which are the non votaries of Judaism. Same thing is true in Romanism. Romanism, we have a priesthood. The priesthood is overeducated, and they have seven to 20 years, depending upon the degree they receive, seven to 20 years of higher education. Therefore, they're qualified to tell you what the truth is. Of course, they don't make it public that in all these cases, the truth is they're all pedophiles. I don't care whether you're talking about Romanism, the priesthood of Romanism, uh, Babylonian Judaism, or Islam, shot through with pedophilia. Why? Because they have worshipped themselves. They've mm-hmm. worshipped mm-hmm. their own minds to try, and the rest of us out here are saying, no, it's not that way. It's the simplicity of what God, God does not bless brains. He didn't bless brains. What he blesses is faithfulness to what he wants, and what he wants is law. What he wants. He wants what he wants. He wants his will, not mine, not yours, not some intellectual someplace. He wants his will to be what we follow. His will, he's the sovereign, and uh, the will of the sovereign, the true sovereign, is law. And Gnosticism, that's an old Greek word. It's in the Newer Testament. It just means knowledge. Gnosticism is the word the ancients used for secret knowledge. And the whole New Testament, the whole New Testament, and the Older Testament too, but I'm focusing now on the life of Jesus Christ forward, the whole New Testament is written against Gnosticism, and the label that was given to it in that day was Babylonian Judaism, Talmudism, we call it today the tradition of the elders. Uh, Every page of the Newer Testament is the onslaught and the story of the struggle of God's folk beginning with Jesus Christ against that monstrous system. But you could sum it all up, all these different labels under the label Babylonian Gnosticism. It's all from Babylon, regardless of the label. I just gave you three. There are many more than that. These are the ones that are most visible in our own day. Primary. Primary. Yeah. And then then it it is a great fascination to me as I – what little bit I've been able to learn about history. You go back to documents like Magna Carta. Magna Carta cites three, well, Magna Carta is the result of King John Lacklands, who was king of England, three deals he made with three religious groups. And in each each case, he had hocked up and sold out the whole country of England by promise to these three religious groups. And these three religious groups are Islam, Romanism and Babylonian Judaism. The, the the Sultan of Morocco, he said he'd make all of England, all of England, uh, Islamic if the Sultan of Morocco would give him all the gold and silver he needed to hire the mercenaries he wanted to, to crush the landholders of England, uh, his own people. He sold out uh, also the Pope of Rome, he told the Pope of Rome he would make all of England and all the land of England his fiefdom, his fiefdom, if the Pope of Rome would give him all the gold and silver he needed to crush the landholders of England. And then he also hawked up the landholders of England at anywhere from 42 and a third to 83 and two thirds percent interest per year 
to the moneylenders in England, and, and Magna Carta cites these, and the only moneylenders, the only one allowed, only ones that could get away with it, of course, were those adherents of Babylonian Judaism. Uh, it was against the law to everybody, but they let them do it because they figured they were going to hell anyway. That's how perverted, that's how perverted Christian folk can get when dealing with the evil empire. You don't deal with the evil empire. You don't deal with the adherents of it. You stay away from them. That's why the Bible says the Older Testament, don't cut. Well, I have a, have a friend that says, I don't cut deals with the devil. Well, if you're cutting deals with those that worship the devil, the useful idiots of the evil empire, you're cutting deals with the devil. That's what you're doing. They're just his good. agents. Yeah, that's all it amounts to. I agree. And if you do that, you're going to pay a, a worse price. That's not easy, though. I say, oh, that's easy. No, that's not easy. How do you live in a world in which we live today and has always been this way, where it's clear at this point to me that what's happening all over the world, not just in America, the evil empire has a construct of sophisticated means. Now the object is to force every person into the banking system. That's what's going on. We've got to get rid of cash. We've got to get rid of cash. I can tell you that many people I've talked to just recently have called me and say, what do I do? I can't pay my bill. Why? They won't accept cash. There's no place I can even go to pay, pay cash. The stores are shut down where I used to go, the places of business, where I used to go pay off my credit card. I have a credit card. I don't have a bank account. I pay my credit card in cash. That's the way I do business. We, they're, they're trying to shut that down. Now, here's what I think will happen, Roger. And then I want, I want you to tell me what you think will happen. And the other people that listen, I want them to call in and, and feed my, my reservoir of knowledge on this point. I don't think it'll work. I think in the end, we're going, we're going through that, that time when we're sick. And it's like I got to throw up. I got to barf. I got to puke it out. And you don't want to do it, but you know you'll feel better if you do. I'm hoping that's what's going on now. I'm hoping we're puking it out and we'll feel better when it's over. And these useful idiots, these Jezebels dressed in white, these witches in Congress, and then the warlocks that follow them, and then the warlocks that the witches are following, it's a circular stir of a witch's brew, mm -hmm. and nobody's following. Everybody's following everybody, and nobody's following anybody. They're the blind are leading the blind, they're, and they're falling into the ditch. They're chasing and their I'm tail. And I'm hoping that's what will happen. Yeah. They're chasing their tail, and the snake eats its tail every time when you deviate away from what things are supposed to be. It's kind of the conclusion generally I've taken from it. I wanted right. to ask you, and I didn't know. I, I, I'm quite interested in what you just said, that you've heard from multiple people that this is happening about not accepting cash because it hadn't been anywhere out floating. Of course, it's sitting there underneath like the majority of an iceberg because the coronavirus can supposedly be transferred on cash. Obviously, it's a great reason for them to move forward on that. China is already floating the um, I saw it on Mike Maloney, one of his daily updates, is floating the idea of a digital currency. And, of course, it's being floated by these folks, too. And it's amazing how many people are, what you said, uh, unbanked is the term they use for them, not only oh, in the U.S., but worldwide. 
But people yeah. are pretty, you know what, through the Patriot community and people in general, uh, they're pretty creative about getting around bureaucratic little roadblocks like that. And I would say that the money order and especially the postal money order would be a viable. You just got to take an extra step. You know, you got to go uh -huh. convert your cash into one of those instruments. But I wanted to query you on something because in the last week, uh, DJ Trump, as you like to call him, has made some really significant strides, I thought. He's made some really critical decisions this week that I think show a good side, at least, say that positively. Um, for one thing, they switched the data, and I believe you sent me a, a video on this of a doctor excitedly talking about it. They took, quit taking the data from the WHO and the CDC and started going on real data. The next day, I believe, he severed our financial connection with the World Health Organization. And now, today I learn, you know, Congress is technically not on vacation. Do you know, do you know that? You probably know some of these parliamentary rules. Pro forma. Congress is pro forma in session. Are you familiar uh -huh. with that? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm familiar with it, but it's not something I've ever done because I've never been in Congress. But I do know about it. It's a ruse. It's been used for a long time. And what um, what DJ is proposing to do is nothing new. Every president since I can remember has done it. Uh, recess appointments. That's just that's part of being president. But here's the funny thing, funny curious thing about DJ. All the other presidents, Bush and uh, Eisenhower, forward, probably more than that, but it's in the Constitution since the beginning, have done this, and they just quietly did it. But DJ's not that kind of a fella for whatever reason. You know, DJ, as they say, if you said to DJ, well, you're not qualified to be president because you don't care about poor people, you're worth billions. And he would say, instead of downplaying it and say, well, yes, I do. And blah, blah. he didn't say that. He said, no, you're wrong. I'm worth several billions, several. And he'd stick it in their face. Well, I see that that's what he's doing with this. It's his personality, I suppose. Mm -hmm. among other things. Yeah. He's saying, well, no, i not only am I going to do it, I'm going to stick it in your face and shove it where the sun don't shine for you. Uh, if you don't shut up and if you want to fight, we'll have fun. Let's now see. that's kind of the impression I get. For the audience, let's give a little background because they're probably not as familiar with this as you are. And I certainly, I'd heard it, but I didn't know what it was. Technically, all the congressmen are home now. They're on recess. But what they uh -huh. do is hold the Congress open under this label pro forma. It's like you uh -huh. see where you see a congressman up there or a clip of him and he's talking at the well and there's nobody behind him. That's called special uh -huh. orders, and there isn't anybody in the chamber, and that's they set that up so they could have messages and connection back to their constituency, I guess, at least. Uh -huh. uh, but this pro forma thing, they leave Congress symbolically open in kind of that same thing. You're going to see one person standing up at the mic and nobody behind them, so they even though they're back home till May the 4th, they're technically still open. And there's a clause in the Constitution that says that Trump can put an end to that, and he's going to. And I, I think they said, and I was listening to Greg Hunter's interview right before the show, I believe he said they, nobody's ever used it like this before, 
Okay. And so the reason uh-huh. for it is exactly what Brent alluded to earlier. They're called recess appointments. And now uh-huh. with Congress pro forma, Trump can't do any recess appointments on all these key people he's been trying to get confirmed for the last three years that they've been dragging their feet on. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so now he's going to go in and overturn that and start putting these people he wants into these positions. I think it's fantastic. Three moves like that in three weeks, pretty significant to me. Well, and I get the feeling that he's a fella that I can't say he has peace of mind all the time, but he's addicted to to the adversity. I think all of us, though, Roger, as we grow older, we try to avoid adversity, but then it comes at us, and there's no avoiding it, and we're cornered, and so we got to do something. And then we get do it, and we realize as we get older that it's the way things are, and we do it more and more and more, and then pretty soon, that's all we know, and we realize that we were just living in fantasy land when we were younger. Well, he's old enough to know that, that's all. And so Mm -hmm. he's, he's constantly looking for a without even understanding what he's doing. I not maybe he does. I'm just saying it's a way of life. If you're there are two kinds of people in the world. People that do nothing, say nothing, and are nothing. And then there are people that do something, say something, or do or say something, and they are something. Well that means the fight's on. I don't care who you are. The fight's on. I don't care whether it's with your f- closest uh, members of your family, your wife, your children or going outside of your family, the fight is on because you've done something, you've said something, and you have become something. You do something, you don't do anything, don't say anything, and you are nothing. Well, that's good Bible too, by the way. And I like to point out that in the Bible, the holy name of God, we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating what they call the holy name of God, the the uh, the, the tetragrammaton, the 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 name that the again this is more Babylonian Judaism bunk we can't say that name why well we might say it the wrong way or take it in emptiness in vain or that's that's not even what that means but so they don't say it and they substitute the Hebrew word Adonai Adonai every time uh, and so when they read through the Bible itself the rabbis of the Middle Ages put the vowel pointings around that word. There are no vowels in the Hebrew text, but they developed these pointings in the Middle Ages. They put the vowel pointings around that name, and uh, the vowel pointings are the vowel pointings for the word Adonai, which means lord or lordship or dominant one. And uh, so that signals them not to say that name. And that name has three syllables. It has to have three syllables. There's no other way to perceive it, and it has to be Yahoha. Yehoha. It's uh, made up of the three letters of the Hebrew alphabet that do not demand closure of the oral passage. In other words, they're called vowel letters. There are no vowels in the written Hebrew tongue, but there are three letters that come awful close to close. Yahuwa, you almost close your, your, or obstruct your oral passage, either with your tongue or your lips. But that particular word, is that word uh, that uh, I am that I am is the translation in Genesis 3.15. Well, it's not I am that I am. There is no verb of being in the Semitic tongues. There are only verbs of action. And that particular word, probably, (laughs) 
I'll bet it occurs more times, at least as many times as any other verb in the Old Testament. It's translated many ways. But he takes that well-known verb of undefined action, which we would usually translate with the words become, became, occurred, happened, or it came to pass, or it is afoot, or it betided. In other words, it's an undefined word of action, but it is a word of action. The context gives you the definition. Well, that's what his name is. And uh, that name indicates that he is the one that is always happening, always acting. He's not dormant. He's not sleeping. Does the Lord sleep? No, the Bible says. He's always moving. He's always active among the affairs of men, contrary to the proclamations of the deist. And by the way, the George Washington and John Adams and Gouverneur Morris and uh, Tom Jefferson were not deists. They weren't Christians, as I would understand my Christianity, no. But they, one thing they did hold too hard was this, this God of the Bible was active among men, intensively active. He is the happening one. And he says, be like me. In other words, don't do nothing, say nothing, or be nothing. No, no, no. He wants activity. He wants dynamis. He wants dynamo. He wants interaction. He wants conquering of the land. He wants folk to move forward, be encouraged. That's why Jesus Christ died for the sins of his people, the law-breaking of his people, so that they would be justified and have confidence in their justification. Their justification is forensic. It's not just an idea, well, you aren't justified, but I'll say you are. No, he transfers his justification. He paid the penalty in reality, in blood, in life, for your law-breaking, therefore you have the confidence, he wants you to have the confidence to move forward, to be like him, to say something, to do something, and consequently to be something. But when you do that, understand, evil will come out of the woodwork, and it will come out of the woodwork right at you from those closest to you. Don't think it won't. It will. And that's why Jesus Christ came and he said, I did not come, I came to separate I came to separate members of families. I didn't, not that I, he doesn't, the point there is not trying to do that, but it's going to happen because if you come to the conviction and say something, say what the truth is, do what the truth is, then you are something. And that bothers folk a lot. It brings guilt. Especially to close family members. Occasionally it's the old, the prophet's not a prophet in his hometown. As, that's it. A, a prophet has no honor in his own country. And so he, if he goes someplace else, people may. Yeah, but you're right. And it comes down to uh, you got to be ready for it because it gets tougher as the time goes on, not easier. Uh, but it gets more fulfilling at the same time. You know, the whole thing about uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is misleading in the extreme. Yes, God loves his people. Does he have a wonderful plan? Yes, he has a wonderful. It's wonderful. But that doesn't mean it won't be tough as, as nails. Yeah. It will be. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to this uh, not taking cash thing. If anybody in the audience has experienced that or heard about that, I really wish you would call in and let us know because it's the first evidence at the grassroots that I've heard about when Brent said multiple people. You want to get back on that train? I'd like to go back, Brent, because we haven't seen you in a week. 
as this quickly developing, evolving situation well, has happened, I wondered what has been on your mind the last seven days. Well, I've come to, I want to give you my conclusions. I would enjoy doing that. These are Brent's conclusions. I can't say that I can know this for certain, but I've concluded in my mind what's going on. In my mind, I've concluded that behind this, of course, this is not about a virus. This is not about a virus. An analogy may be in order. This is about a virus like slavery was about the war between the northern and the southern. <laughs> Good <Here's> analogy. <laughs> in other words, the evil empire is using slavery was wrong, of course. Yeah, I get that. But um, sl- uh, the evil empire used slavery they sure do. to to uh, to try to destroy the idea of local government, which folk in those days called state states' rights, which really was county rights, counties were the fundamental that people had in their minds. It used to be families, and that's really what it is. The building block of all government is family. But they drove it closer to home, and they said counties. I'd like to point out the county, the home county of Jefferson David Davis, president of the Confederacy, voted not to leave the Union. It was a county matter. Uh, I've been and used to live close to a place in California called Rough and Ready. Rough and Ready, named after that famous American general, old Rough and Ready. Who was it? Zach Taylor? Was that him? I'm not sure. Anyway, well, Rough and Ready, they called him. Well, that town and their the organiz- political organization in California at the time wasn't even in place. They did have a town and they had mining districts. And that particular mining district voted not. They voted to succeed from the union after the they said that all California went the other way. They weren't going to have it. And uh, the same thing, of course, happened in a bigger way, as you know, in uh, Virginia and all the counties we now call West Virginia, the state of West Virginia, voted not to leave the Union. Uh, the East, the counties in East Tennessee didn't want to leave the Union, and that stayed, uh, stayed pro-Union. And uh, hundreds of men came out of East Tennessee and joined the Union Army. Why? Well, they... Well, there's a lot of reasons why. Sam Houston, senator from Texas, campaigned hard against not leaving the Union. Texas um, retaliated against him, threw him out of the Senate, and he became persona non grata at the end of his life. So it was a local matter. That's all I'm saying. Very local. And um, slavery, though, was the, the hook that people tried to use in the Northeast to fire people up. Do you really believe, I know this is not true, do you believe the people in the North were any were less racist against black men and women or more racist? And the answer is they were more racist, by and large, than the people in the South. They didn't care about the, biggest, the, the black slave. The first they didn't mean the, anything. The biggest and the what? first slave market in the country was Newport, Rhode Island. Come on, get off your soapbox. Yeah, and, well, it was true. I mean, I... I I mean, well, I don't know what to say. When I was growing up, I knew everybody hated black people. And I wasn't from strictly the South. I wasn't from a place that, and even Kentucky um, sent t- right at 20, uh, well, at one time, 20,000 Kentuckians had joined the Union Army. Mm-hmm. There was confusion there. And uh, the copperheads of the 
of the Ohio border states, Ohio River border states, where right, there was guerrilla warfare and killings and burning the churches. I know where I'm from. I know of a church that was burned down. Burned down. Riots occurred. Eight, eight, nine men killed in a little town at home. Uh, copperheads because of the differences of opinion as to what the union... Well, my point is, this is all a, a local matter. This virus is to uh, what's happening now, like slavery was, to the war between the northern and southern tiers of the states. It became the excuse of those that want to pump up, want to pump up a war. And that's what we're seeing. I'm giving you my conclusions. Uh, the virus, of course, is a flu virus. It uh, is not deadly. Uh, viruses are solvents of sorts. They get into your system and they, they break down. They break down things. But the virus itself, the virus itself is not the danger. The danger is the weakness that occurs. But people die of this kind of a virus every year. I have not met anybody, nor have I known of anybody. Uh, nobody's told me of anybody. I ask people constantly, do you know anybody who has died of this virus or who is sick of it? I haven't got anybody to t say yes. I know. Well. So one thing, yeah. let me just inject something. It, it, you see, you can't think of it as a virus. It, this is an engineered bioweapon. Okay. And it, when you make that differentiation, some of those things become a little bit different when you're looking at them, but that's virtually uh -huh. been proven. In fact, it's got one of the leading guy. Here's the headline from zero hedge. COVID-19 is a man-made virus. HIV discoverer, the guy that discovered HIV and his partner over in Europe, says it could only have been made and created in a lab. Uh, the question is to me that's interesting is whether it was intentionally or unintentionally released. And that's kind of got some long-range political and financial uh things that you can deliberate on. But, you know, listen, this war with China over a lot of this is going to just exacerbate it. it, it it's oh, not well, too that, far from a shooting war already. Okay. Oh, listen, th th here's what's happening, Roger. Again, my conclusions for what they're worth. Um, DJ Trump ran for president, beat Hillary, and the, the left and the Democrats are so hateful, so demonically driven, not to say other people aren't, but they are, and so vicious, they don't care how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people die. Yep. They want their person, their useful idiot in office. It makes them feel secure, even if it's an idiot like Biden, who is obviously deranged. He's a goner. He has been for years. He's a presumptive silly. He's worse than a child. And that's the way Hillary is, too. She's worse than a child. They would rather have her. And the chaos and the lawlessness and the perversion and the deep state, they would rather have all of that than have somebody who wants to get rid of the deep state. And I know that D.J. Trump is not a Sunday school superintendent candidate. He's, he's not made of that stuff. But... I remember also, and know also, none of us are, by the way, we're all, we all fall short in more ways than we could count, but it is true that God is sovereign, and when I say sovereign, I mean sovereign, it's an absolute word, I mean that 
God uses everyone, including the devil himself, to accomplish his purposes, and no one, no person, uh, spirit being such as an angel or a, a creation of God such as man, all of them are creations of God, nothing in his creation escapes his notice, and nothing, nothing or no one can do anything outside of his permission, period. That being true, what's happening now, God will take all the evil and all the ugly, and he will make the straight lick with the crooked stick. And I know that will happen eventually. In the meantime, it's my job to stay out and away from the evil vermin that are fomenting this madness. When Japan attacked the United States, the government of Japan had come under the control of about six families, organized crime families in Japan, who didn't care how many people were slaughtered. They wanted what they wanted. They found a bozo to put up. They took an ancient Japanese religion, added what they wanted to add to it, and promoted it, and got those folk to run headlong into hell and be destroyed. And they came forth like demons from hell, and we sent them back to hell. Now, I'm not saying everything done was right. That's not my point. I'm saying God is sovereign. And we didn't, we, <laughs> we didn't give them a break. And the more vicious they got, listen, when you've got people that are killing Americans, cutting their private parts off and sticking them in their mouths, uh, the Vietnamese did the same thing, they're going to die. God won't, even though he may use them, then he will turn around and judge them. How do I know? Because he does it over and over again in the Bible and says that's what he's going to do. I'm going to use these people to judge my people, the Babylonians, and then I'm going to judge the Babylonians for doing the evil deeds they do to you. Now, you're talking about a God, a lawgiver, that is so above, so powerful, that he's unquestionable in those matters. That's what he's doing. And you either adhere to him or you go to hell. And he himself will hurl you into hell. I, I started on a, a, a radio program the other day, and I said, you know, let's start this way. Let's just go through the Lord's Prayer. Nobody who is God's people can afford to live and not say the Lord's Prayer at least once a day and say it thoughtfully. And I said, let's just do that. And we did it. And at the end of it, I said, well, I hope that was uh, uplifting to you. If it wasn't, and it made you mad, I hope it made you real mad. <laughs> and somebody texted me and said, some woman said, well, you didn't mean to say that, Brent. You meant to say that you hope God would turn their hearts. No, I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say that. If you're going to get mad, I hope you get real mad. I hope God deals with you. And I don't know what he'll do to you, but I know this, that we're all tough cases. And for God to get our attention, he has to deal with us harshly. Mm -hmm. I know that. Mm -hmm. And to say otherwise is, is fantasy. Some people the won't Bible have it. Some people, won't, no. some people won't have it any other way, Brent. Well, I'd say all of us won't have it any other way in the beginning, Roger. I'd say that all of us are so far gone in our in our in our birth state in our natural birth state that the only way God can get at us is to come at us hard. The Bible says that he you're being I know you're being measured in your speech. <laughs> and that's a nice thing to do. And that was a nice thing for her to say too, but she's wrong on that point. Now you didn't say what she said. No. She said you hope this. She was trying to tell me what I thought. No, I didn't think that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that uh, sin is death. 
And the only way to get people out of their sin, their law-breaking, uh, God does it. We don't do it. We're not smart enough. Matter of fact, we are running. People say, oh, I've been looking for God for years. No, you haven't. The Bible says you aren't looking for God. You may have convinced yourself of that. The Bible says you're running from him as fast as you can, as your legs will carry you. I've had people tell me, well, I've tried this religion and that religion, and well, they'll, they'll catalog all the religions they've tried. Trying to find God, I say, no, you aren't. You're just jumping from one foxhole to the other, and you're shooting back at God. That's all you're doing. Don't kid me. God is right there. You don't have to find him. Matter of fact, you can't find him. That's stupid to even say. He stuck it in your face. You know, as Romans 1 says, you know who he is. The, you're running from him, and he finds you. Paul the Apostle put it in these terms, and I know this is true. I like the way he said it, and I'm giving you the winterized version of this verse out of the New Testament. It's translated this way in the King James. It's too tame for the language. The King James says, I have not been apprehended uh, for that which I have been apprehended. In other words, God has not yet apprehended me, uh, for that which he has apprehended me. It doesn't say that. It says, I have not been tackled. I have not yet been tackled for that which God has tackled me. God chases you. He runs you down, and then he tackles you like Dick Butkus. <laughs> and if you've ever watched Dick Butkus tackle a man, you know what tackling is. And if you haven't seen Dick, everything else is mild by comparison. When Dick tackled a man, like, <laughs> like old... Deacon Jones said, uh, people say Dick Butkus try to put you in the graveyard. He said, that ain't true. Or in the hospital. Yeah, I got it backwards. He said, Dick Butkus, people say try to put you in the hospital. He said, it's not true. Dick Butkus tried to put you in the graveyard when he hits you. <laughs> Boy, he um, was something. But at any rate, well, that's what God does. I want to Go interject ahead. this, Brent. I'll tell you how I found God. In this information, I found Satan. And if there's a Satan, there's got to be a God. And I would venture to say that there's a bunch of people in our arena that probably went down that same path. Daryl's joined us. Hey, Mr. Daryl. Well, good morning, uh, everybody. Brent, Roger. Uh, well, you, <clears throat> I, I'd like to get back to the topic you're on here in a little bit, but uh, you, you asked about uh, people not taking cash or right. they have experience with that. Right. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. So uh, I have a lot of friends and uh, actually very close friends in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Chicago area. And uh, this is happening uh, quite a bit. Really? Uh, it's, yeah, it's actually happening quite a bit. And uh, it's in the local uh, grocery stores, uh, particularly uh, the health food stores up there won't uh, take any cash. You have to. You have to use a, a digital form of currency, credits, hmm. and, uh, so they won't take it. Now, hmm. it's interesting to know uh, this is happening all over California, too, uh, in people, places like, um, I don't know if it's in all of them. It might be, it, it probably is, but like Trader Joe's and uh, some of these uh, sort of yuppie uh, designer <coughs> uh, places. Um so uh, yeah, this is uh, they they are doing this, and 
So, so uh, is, to answer you your question, uh, do you Brent, think yeah. it's policy, or do you think it's people that are just trying to be hep and aware and trendy? Well, I, uh, well, I, I mean, uh, I, I would say that uh, you have corporate policies from on high with you know the bigger operations, so that would be a, a corporate policy, right? So, uh-huh. and then in the smaller places, the smaller places. Um, I don't think they're they're being hip and trendy. I think that uh, they're being compliant with uh, uh, embracing, uh, trying to almost virtue signaling, uh, right. as okay. to say, uh, they're they um, they're, they're going beyond compliant. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> this is uh, this is going on. Now I haven't noticed it. I haven't noticed here in uh, Alabama. As a matter of fact, here in Alabama, of course, locally where I am here, it, this thing is a nothing burger. Okay, as in, there ain't no meat here on their on their restrictions. Now they have shut down uh, auto plant uh, parts suppliers and any a number of different things like this. But the people themselves, they're pretty like. Uh, yawning uh, about the whole thing. I've, I've noticed that there's uh, maybe only um, 20% of the road traffic that I would have encountered before. Um, and uh, I I went to Fasten All yesterday to uh, pick up a bunch of uh, components I need for what I, I uh, manufacture. Well, Fasten All is a, uh, a you know, international corporation, and uh, I mean, they have representation all over the world in that regard. <clears throat> well, I couldn't, um, I, I couldn't walk into their store, um, and uh, what I had to do, Brent Roger, was <laughs> they. Uh, I had to call my order in, and then uh, they would pick it, okay, for me. And then they went to the back dock. There's a big dock back there where trucks unload and stuff. And they they set my my order in a plastic tub with my name my name on it. And then I came around the back and with my truck and I picked up my parts. And 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 she waved at me and she stood in the doorway about 20 feet away and said, "Well, this is stupid, but I have to do it." <laughs> So that's how. Um, well, at so least, at least they were you know, doing commerce. Yeah. At least the commerce was going on. Well, yeah, um, and uh, they. So you you have to have a pre-existing account with these people because there's no way that uh, I, I I couldn't even pay them for it. It, it has to go through. You know, usually I'll oh, yeah. I'll pay for everything. I. I never, I never do billing because Fastenal's billing policies and procedures are about as ignorant as I've ever seen anywhere. <laughs> so I, I avoid that by just, you know, cash and carry, right? Well, you, you can't do that now. So you, you have to go through their billing process, which you, is uh, you ridiculous. Couldn't, you but, couldn't have put uh, your cash payment in an envelope? Mike disinfected it in no. front of her or something and laid it on the landing dock. No. Well, let me let me let me 
let me share this, okay? So uh, this cash thing is, well, it, it holds the uh, coronavirus. Thank you, Brent. I think you, I think you have a handle on that this is uh, uh, what you were saying about the virus there. I, I would mostly agree with that. And so, well, you know what? This virus could be on my clothes. Well, maybe I should take them off. Or, you know, this virus thing might be on my, is it, couldn't it be on my glasses? Uh, and, well, I have. Well, it's on, it's on my shoes. Okay. Oh, 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 wait a minute. Uh, this is this would be this is absurd now. And uh, of course, there's a lot to say about it. But uh, I think they may suffer. You know, some the, the interesting thing for me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm so uh, yeah. The the the, the thing that is uh, I'm finding quite interesting. At cruising altitude and here watching is um, a lot of people are really accepting this and embracing it and continue to and I would suggest that almost everybody you see that is wearing the face mask uh, will line up to take their shot they'll they'll actually maybe even cut the line they'll yeah. <laughs> to get their shot yeah because they because they desperately they desperately want it to go back to normal uh, and whatever you know, normal wasn't even normal, and and now they will they're racing forward to embrace the new abnormal. It's yes. not the new normal; it's the new abnormal. Correct. And the new abnormal will then be modified with a with a uh, revision on what is abnormal, and and so on and so forth. And I think there's going to be some um, big time unintended consequences they're going to suffer from this. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about it on the program. Uh, the uh, people shut up. They're asking questions. They're starting to see the fallacies of it. The illusion is partially disappearing, if you will, uh, from the standpoint of death numbers and information and people being exposed for nefarious connections and activities, all those sorts of things. Um, I believe there's going to be some silver lining out of this down the road for us. I think it's going to raise the awareness percentage yeah. uh, substantially globally. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Brent, uh, I agree, Roger. Uh, Brent, you were talking earlier here, and uh, <clears throat> when, while, you were talk, while you were talking, uh, a scripture popped into my head. <laughs> it's uh, Psalms uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, it's it's highlighted in my King James uh, for a good reason. And it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And then, you know, the Father's response is, He that sitteth in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And then shall he speak unto them with his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Well, I, I, I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah, I, I think you said exactly what you meant to say. And by the way, I'm, uh, I'm very much inclined to uh, doing the same thing. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, there's an old expression. Uh, I heard it. Maybe I heard it here. I loved it so much. I, I've been 
using it quite frequently is, uh, I'm sorry, did I step on your toes? I was actually meaning, I was aiming for your heart. Okay. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you, uh, you get so you assume people are going to react. Well, you, it happens so much. You say, well, I can't be worried about that. And I have discovered over the years, um, one fella, this has been 30 some years ago, or maybe more. I have to do my math here, but he, uh, he said, well, old winters, he's some kind of a Christian. And, uh, so he was cutting another fellow's hair and, uh, he got to tell me a story about his neighbors were Mormons and, uh, how they came over to his house and prayed with him. And I said, Mormons came over to your house and prayed with you. He said, yeah. I said, well, I can think of a lot of other people I'd want to pray with me, but Mormons, but he said, why is that? I said, well, they follow doctrines of demons. Uh, according to Paul the Apostle, anyway, and not me, according to him, I'm pretty clear. I don't have any trouble understanding what he's saying. And uh, he sh- shut his mouth and didn't say anything else. And he told me later, he said, boy, you really hurt my feelings. I said, well, how's that? We well, said, I thought you thought religion was a good thing. Well, it is if it's the right religion. And don't don't fall into this trap, I tell people, too. I've got to drop a footnote here. Don't fall into this trap of saying, I don't have religion, I have relationship. Well, that's what, that's what relationship is. It's religion. It's just an old Latin word that defines your relationship. No, there we got religion if we're Christian people, and we have a relationship with the true God, not the false one. Well, at any rate, he said it hurt his feelings, and he went away and pouted. <laughs> Uh, I'm using that word in a, well, in a strict sense, it really hurt his feelings. I liked the fellow. We were buddies and all. Well, later he came to me and he said, I need to talk to you. I said, what about? He said, these Mormons that come over to the house and pray with us, he said, they're stealing my children. I said, what do you mean they're stealing your children? He said, well, they've got my children talked into coming over to their house and staying. They don't stay at my house anymore because the Mormons are telling them that I haven't got true religion and they should come over and just be with them. And I can't persuade them to come back to my house. Well, to make the long of it short, he was on the edge of a nervous breakdown. And that's what he told me. He ended up checking into the veterans hospital. He didn't know what to do. He was beside himself. Everything came crashing in on him at once. There was a balloon payment due on his house. He was a a welder, a darn good welder. He worked in the oil refinery down on the beach. and uh, But he was losing everything. And then, of course, his job, uh, there were problems there. And, and his children, uh, the Mormons down the street, had persuaded them that he was a heathen. And so uh, they needed to come live with him. And I took him and we went out. I remember we were in an automobile and it was pouring down rain. It wouldn't stop. And we drove away and parked along the road someplace. And uh, I, I said, well, I'll tell you what, Joe, his name was Joe. I'm just going to stop, start talking. If something strikes you as important, let me know and I'll stop and we'll talk about it. We talked for the longest, or I talked, and then he would stop me. And then uh, I knew the problem was way down deep. It always is. There's something behind it all. There's a, there's a core problem with all of us. And our core problem is that we are not right. We're enemies with God. That's the core problem, and we don't, we don't, we want to deny it. Well, it got down to that. Well, so he 
He said, I don't want to be an enemy to God. What do I do? And I told him, I said, well, you've got uh, what will what, happen here is you've got to confess that you're a lawbreaker and that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your lawbreaking. That's where you start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you afraid of God? Do you believe God is the one that says he'll hurl you into hell, not the devil? No, the devil's getting hurled in there too. Well, he said, yeah, I do. I said, well, let's pray. Uh, we prayed. And then he went home, and then his wife started in on him. She wasn't going to put up with that kind of a point of view. And then she was going to leave him. See, it doesn't get easier. It gets, in one way, it gets harder, but it's more fulfilling. Well, his mother-in-law lived with him, and she was a pagan of the highest order. Raised rocks and all sorts of crazy things. Had all sorts of New Age religion mixed into it. And uh, but he didn't budge. So finally, his wife, his wife uh, got a hold of me and said, what'd you do to my husband? I said, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't do anything to your husband. And uh, she said, well, explain it to me. And so I did. She said, well, how can I, how can I, how can I deal with this? I said, well, the only way you're yeah. going to be able to deal with it is if you start agreeing with him. And she said, well, how do I do that? And I said, well, I don't know. Now, I'm going to tell you what I did. And uh, Some will say, well, that wasn't the right thing to do. And I, I think there was an error in what I did. But it worked out okay. It worked out okay. There was a Billy Graham crusade going on back then in a big stadium within driving distance. I said, we well, just go down to the Billy Graham meet, take your mother, and see what happens. This really happened. And she went down there with her mother, and when they it came time at the end of the sermon, uh, he made the call, and uh, they went forward, and uh, they claimed that they received Jesus Christ. Well, you don't receive Jesus Christ. That's not true. Billy Graham, I'm not sure he was on the up and up with everything. But here's the thing about Billy Graham. Like Paul the Apostle says, uh, Jesus Christ is preached for a lot of wrong reasons. But I rejoice that he has preached, and I'd say that about Billy Graham. Whether it was right or wrong, I don't know. But they were introduced to the idea that they were sinners, and they admitted it. Well, then both of them, or all three of them, wanted to get baptized. They said, well, we're Christian folk. Are we supposed to be baptized? I said, well, that'd be a good idea. Do you feel like you? Oh, yeah, we feel like we ought to be. All three of them went to, I told them where there was a church close by them where they might oblige them on that, and they went and had that done. Well, my point is, uh, in the midst of all this madness, if there are people that are afraid, uh, you're afraid of the wrong thing. The thing you ought to be afraid of is the God that made you. He's the one that has all the power. These bozos out here, the, the these vicious, verminy creatures that are holding the levers of power, these Kabbalistic bankers, that want to destroy us. They want us to use all of their digital current. It's easier for them, and they can skin you 17 ways from Sunday. Right now, they can only skin you 16, so they want 17. They want to go to another way, digital currency. But that's not what a fellow is to be afraid of. No, do not fear him even, the Bible says, that can destroy your body. No, 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 no. Fear him who has the power to hurl body and soul into hell. That's what it says. Well, there, there you are back. Who hurls people, men into hell? Well, the same, the same person that hurls demons into hell. 
and the and Satan himself, the God that made him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, that's where we are here. And there are those that God has picked out whom he will use this to wake up. That's what this is all about. Yeah, right. God's waking up his people. That's right. Oh, no, the other people, he can't wake them up. Nope. They don't have ears to hear and their not, eyes to see. Not, Back to you, Roger. Not only can he not wake them up, he sends them strong delusion so that they'll believe the lie, according to the well, word. Thank you for adding yeah, the rest of the story. That's true. Okay. That's true. Um, uh, listen, we've got a couple of guys join us. Paul Kay's husband joined us. We don't yeah. hear from Paul too often. That's great. And Bob, too. I was trying to fight and get y'all on at the same time together. Uh, so, uh, Paul, how you doing, buddy? Congratulations on filing your affidavit, and then a couple of days later, your passport application with said attached. Congratulations. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I actually had one point. Uh, there's one video going around uh, where they're saying, now that uh, – Trump declared a national emergency, and I think that was around March 15th or 14th, so right in that time frame, is when he actually officially declared a national emergency. So the video is showing that, well, when he declares a national emergency, that puts into effect FEMA and because of all these, these 21 different executive orders, whether they're legal or not, theoretically has set up FEMA. And then on, uh, I think it was March 19th, they show him a meeting with FEMA. You know, because when he declared the national emergency, he stepped back. He said, now we're going to put the full force of the federal government against this. And then on the 19th, he's had a meeting with FEMA. And the FEMA says, well, thank you for empowering this. Basically, is what the guy is saying. And... uh, then a few days later, because if FEMA is in control of the country, you know, because of the, the declaration of national emergency, then basically he's no longer president. You know, there is no president, there is no Congress, there is no Senate. In effect, I'm know, not. The Constitution is kind of. Been, We've talked about that a couple of times when it first surfaced earlier in the week, this week, and I don't put much credence in it. One of the other things that a little bit of that video that I watched said is wherever their observation was, they say you notice the seal, uh, uh, there's not a presidential seal on the podium he's talking on, and there's no flag behind him. Okay. Well, I saw something from him yesterday, and he was sitting in front of the presidential seal, and the flag and another flag were back there. I don't put much credence in all that stuff at this point, Paul. And besides, especially okay. with the I three, a- to get your take on it. yeah, with the three actions that we discussed earlier that he's taken this week, pulled all the data away from WHO and CDC defunded the the uh, funding of the WHO, the World Health Organization, to the tune of, I think, $400 million, and now trying to, it appears, going to overturn this pro forma stance the, uh, the libs have put the Congress into so he can't do resource appointments. That sounds like somebody that's in control of the country to me. Yep. Okay. 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 <laughs> Uh, listen, you're going to have you're going to have an awful lot of people just like the patriot community's always done since I've been around it is they see something it appears that the lines connect the dots and they grab it and all of a sudden it's truth. And this doesn't work that way. Okay? 
Um, it's like a lot of the people that were for the, when this thing first broke out, where was the first donkey they pinned a tail on 5g now 5g may have some peripheral involvement here, but it ain't the cause. Okay. So you just got to be cautious, especially right now when things are in such flux and so fluid to go back and ground to what you're looking at. I'll give you another example. And I think I sent you and Kay this video. I sent it out. It's these Messianic Jews. It's a wife and a husband, a Benan or something, and they're interviewing this grandmotherly-looking, little little pious-looking woman who was born into a Jewish family and got converted at five years old. That's her story. Okay, And later on, she was really involved in FEMA and was involved back 20 years ago in some of the plans that were revolving around 9-11. And so in her story, she's saying, well, I just went to Davos and all those plans are taking shape. Okay, well, my question is, what's a retired FEMA worker uh, for a number of years evidently doing going to Davos? Okay, I mean, there's the glaring, the the glaring thing that's jumping out at you. So I kind of taken everything that was in that video with a grain of salt about them cutting off the electricity to the country, and, uh, and no doubt some of the stuff that they're doing, we know that. But I that just doesn't it doesn't pass the smell test. Okay, so be be wary, be be wise, and know that. A lot of people are grasping at straws to come to concrete conclusions that are based on sand. Okay. Uh, Bob, how you Sounds doing, bro? Good. Doing well. <clears throat> Excuse me. My voice is a little froggy, so hopefully you can hear me. Yeah, we hear you a little can bit. You hear me but you, you, yeah, you're a bit froggy, but we can read you. Okay, let me try it on speaker and hold it right up here. Um, hello to all. Good to hear you, Brent. I wanted to uh, reflect on an article that I saw. It says that Bob talk, was, we are... Bob, talk right. We're losing a little bit of volume on you. Could you talk right into the speaker or try okay. and elevate your, your volume a bit? We'll try that. Is that better? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. The article was titled... And it was on zero heads, but the article was titled, We Are Not All In This Together. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody read that, but I thought it was really good. This whole, yay team, we're all in this together, we're going to get through this one way or another, is just crap, if you want to put it in very crass terms. The idea that, you know, if we just go shoulder to shoulder, It'll it'll seem like a less uh, less of a uh, credible or you know you can get through it together just by wishing that it were true and saying we're all on the same team. And the point the author makes is that some people prepared the ants, so to speak. Some people prepared, and there's no reason for them to be punished by needing their stuff for everybody else they they should reap the reward of their you know perceptiveness and listening to the spirit yep then there's then there's the unprepared and some of them are belligerently unprepared and stridently against those who did prepare and will turn against them in a heartbeat because they feel like they're entitled to some of their goodies 
others are unprepared and ignorant and don't even realize they're unprepared and and they're not really strident about it they're just clueless and then there's the independents that even when they're caught somewhat unprepared they're not after a government handout or their neighbor's handout they're going to get through it they're going to work at it they're going to try then you got the collectivists that are secretly great you know gravitating towards a government solution and this is just a great idea we can consolidate power then you got the global elites that are just sitting back to some degree manipulating and to some degree excuse me to some degree just opportunists that are either allowing or fostering this and then you've got the sheeple that just don't have a clue what's going on and don't even care and i thought it was a great point you know, the idea that we're all in this together appeals to our sense of unity, our sense of family, our sense of brotherhood, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really just a call for collectivism when you look at it Bob, in that manner. Can I, can I put it in a different way? Liber- you certainly can. Liberty, equality, fraternity. Yeah, brotherhood, brother. There you go. Yeah. All for one, one for all. Come on, you slacker. You can have some of my stuff. I well, just thought that was an interesting t- Did you see the article? And, uh, did you see the article? Evidently, it came off of uh, social media. It was pretty interesting. Along the lines, though, of what you're talking about, it wasn't the exact article you're mentioning, but it was the observations on his customers from a UPS driver. <laughs> No, I missed that. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, he just had all these categories. He said, Norm. Norm has been waiting for this for years. He's got all kinds of food. He's got all kinds of ammo. And, of course, because the UPS guy delivers it to him so he knows what he's got. And and he just goes, and then there's Jane, and she's got all of her kids isolated, won't let them play in the yard. Everybody's got masks. She's had three cases of hand sanitizer delivered in the last seven days. You know, that kind of categorization is just really interesting, kind of comical. I know her. I know her. That's my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of humor coming out of this too, and I think we, you know, need to all you need get that get the levity going in your life. It'll make life a lot more pleasant, you know. Uh, but no doubt, we're, we're we're in serious times, and the situation is changing rapidly. Now, the good news is evidently that they're opening up states, and Trump has given the okay for governors to open, and probably some of them opening up today from what we're seeing. Um, I know I sent you the picture, Brent. What would you think of the stars and bars flying at the state capitol in Lansing, Michigan? No, I missed that one, Roger. Oh, it's in your, it's in your Skype deal, man. It was in an article. You know they had a... They, they had a very peaceful demonstration, but there was a bunch of people involved in Lansing this week. I think it was on Thursday. And because oh. of this idiot governor that's trying to kowtow to the Democratic Party to get a vice presidential nomination, and she's gone in and shut down. You can't even buy seeds. Seeds are not essential in Michigan. The things that are essential, though, are the liquor stores, the marijuana dispensaries, and the lotto 
dispensaries. They're the essential stores that are open, and you can't buy anything else. You can't buy paint. You, you're off on your own. You want you got some time because you're not at work. You wanted to paint the house like you've been wanting to for a long time. Not in Michigan, pal. You can't buy any paint. So the uh, thousands of people, I mean, thousands of cars converged on the state yeah. capitol, and it was very, it was peaceful. But they had a lot of flags and signs, and they, somebody was flying a huge Confederate stars and bars next to a Trump flag. Okay. It was great, man. I never thought well, I'd see the day, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't either. Something needs to be done. I, I get the word that the governor of Idaho uh, has totally capitulated. At first, he didn't do much. And he was trying to say, we're an open state. But now, if you drive Idaho... Patrick, put your me there you go, bud. Go ahead, Brent. If you drive into Idaho, the order is you're supposed to quarantine yourself for two weeks before you talk to anybody. <laughs> what about? Oh, yeah, these people are weirdos. I mean, now, this guy grew up on a ranch somewhere north of Weezer, Idaho. His parents and his grandparents were cattle folk. And... Uh, Weezer is north of Boise, about an hour, I think. Mm -hmm. Weezer is an old Dutch town, by the way. A lot of dairy farmers and whatnot. Weezer River goes through there. But then north is cattle country, more beef cattle. But, well, I don't want to tell it's that right story. There it's, on the, it's on the western side of the, of, of the Targi range there, right? The Jackson Hole range. Oh, no, no, I don't know about that. That Jackson Hole down in Wyoming, isn't it? Right, but it's across the range, oh. you know. I mean, the Grand Tetons are right there, and Jackson Hole's right oh. next to the Grand Tetons. Oh, it's not that far a drive. No, but to drive to Weezer, you go down, you go west out of Boise, and then you turn right, and then you go up along the river in Oregon to get uh -huh. to Weezer, and then you oh, cross okay. back over into Idaho. It's one okay. of those kind of deals. Gotcha. But, uh, man, I'm... It's amazing how much I know my way around out in all those Rocky Mountain states. And those Rocky Mountain people, I don't know what it's like now, but I remember they used to just be all, well, they just wanted to stay in the mountains and they'd move from one place to another and just stay in the mountains. And it's a, it is a different mentality out there, I'll say that. They're more conservative, generally. I even had a fellow tell me yesterday, well, a friend he's, uh, does IRS uh tax defense, criminal and civil. And he said, the IRS agents out West are a whole lot better to deal with than the ones in the East. They aren't as difficult. Well, that's just because you're drawing it from a place out West. You know, the Western states and the Southern states gave, uh, they said women have the right to vote long before, a lot of them did, not all of them, but a lot of them did long before that was ever part of the Constitution of the United States. And it didn't need to be a part of the Constitution. The progressive states, which were the ones that the, the states that the people in the Northeast were calling bumpkins and presumptive sillies. They're the ones that are really progressive, frankly. Uh, honestly, uh, God's folk are more progressive than anybody if they're truly God's folk. No question. I watch these Democrats. They don't catch on to the power of the Internet. They still haven't got it. Uh, Ron Paul opened the idea up. Uh, DJ Trump capitalized upon what Ron Paul did, campaigning on the electronic media, and now he's got this tweet thing going. He's controlling the country with one-liners or two-sentence tweets. And 
people like that. I notice when people post things on electronic media, if they'll post some long paragraph, nobody will read it. You post uh, just one phrase and you get it down and whittle it down and get all the leaves off the switch so it really stings and just put it up there. Uh, people will connect with that real quick. There's something to be said for brevity. Brevity is the soul of wit. Absolutely. And if you can make it witty. Oh, yeah. It, make it witty to try to get your point across. That takes a little work. But I've discovered people respond to it, and here I am blathering on for 20 minutes. <laughs> You'd think I'd learn to crank it down a little bit, but I guess that's the platform we've got now. But, Roger, I'll let somebody else talk. Well, I was going to say I had somebody trying to call in, and it's kind of unusual the way they alerted me to it. i got to call them back, so I'm in the process of doing that. It's a 408 area code. But Patrick oh. joined us in the interim. And uh, want to welcome him. You can take your mute off, man. What's going on? Oh, just out here uh, plowing dirt, trying to put in a melon patch. Working on it. It's sun shining, and uh, we can get seeds down here. Well, you're lucky you're not in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't understand something like that, and I just wouldn't get it. But uh, just working the dirt, baby. Getting out there and sweating. Enjoying it. Now, are you, are you, uh, did you buy a piece of property further south from where you live? Yeah. Well, no, nah, we moved down in cold water to get out of Mythica. We moved out of there about 30, 40 uh, miles south. I still run my business up there, but, uh, oh. we got a little car, car lot down here and, uh, got six acres and we got three acres we live on. But now nah, I got a hundred acres on the Tennessee river in Perry County and, uh, in-laws got about 1200, uh, you know, flat field there on the river on the other side. And I'm heading up there the next six, eight years and, and uh, kind of just grow melons and uh, eat grits, say y'all, and get away from society the best I can. Well, are you, how far are you from Tupelo? Uh, hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, what's on your mind? I just listening to all this stuff. It's, I'm glad that, like minds, I mean, we're, this is the biggest hoax that's ever been pulled off lately. And I just oh. see at the be beginning of the end of trying to take the cash and, and all the, uh, you know, things coming together. Uh, I'm waiting for the, the martial law or the civil war or something. Something's going to break <laughs> sooner or later. Well, somebody said uh, we're not under martial law. I, I believe we are in this sense. Not, not de jure, not in law, but in fact. Because once the courts are substantially closed down, the vacuum will fill with a martial kind of a law, uh, a law of central command, and the courts aren't open and no juries. Uh, how I don't know what it's like down where you are, but where I'm from, they're sending me emails. The courthouses are all but shut down except for emergencies. Well, that means, of course, you can't get a jury impaneled to try a case. If you can't get a jury impaneled to try a case, that vacuum will be filled with uh, kind of a law that doesn't have a jury. Now, do you have a milk cow out there that? It sounds like you got a pot boiling on the stove. Oh, I picked up about uh, three gallons of raw milk. It's a little short. I got to pick up raw milk every week and give it out and drink it and all that. It's uh, it makes the uh, makes life worth living. Oh well, I thought I heard a cowbell. The reason I said that. Oh, you here in half half gallon uh, ball jugs vibrating in a seal test uh, container 
That's exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> heading to the heading to the uh, to the refrigerator. <laughs> oh, I see. So is it? This is cow milk, not goat milk, or what? It's, it's raw milk. It's cow milk. We get raw milk uh, out of uh, Savannah, Tennessee. It gets, goes to the market in Jackson, and a buddy of mine picks up about 50, 60 gallons, brings it down to North Mississippi, and then uh, I swoop in there and get my deal. And uh, uh-huh. you know, it's kind of a ritual oh, thing, and then I trade it for eggs. Either name and number after the tone. I trade it for eggs down here. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Okay, I want to say it again. When I have to call you back, answer the phone, please. (laughs) Well, how much are you paying for a raw gallon of milk in uh, South Tennessee and North Mississippi? Uh, It's $7. You pick it up at the market in Jackson, Tennessee. If it's brought all the way to North Mississippi, it's $10 a gallon. So you have a law in Tennessee says you can buy raw milk from the grocery store. No, I bought from a farmer who's milking about 10 cows. He, he's got that and eggs and butter and apple yeah. pies and stuff. But now they got a deal. Somehow they get around the, the uh, law where if you, you buy shares into the cow, you can sell oh, raw milk. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I know what you're saying. And you're, you're a stockholder in livestock. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so you can get all the milk you want out of these ten cows. How many? How many other owners are there in this herd? Herd of ten. Uh, whatever it'll produce, I'm sure there's. I don't, man. I don't know. I imagine there's probably twenty or thirty of us. So he got a little contract with you, and you signed a piece of paper that said you're a you're a title holder to this cow. These cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I see. And yeah. so seven dollars a gallon sounds pretty good to me, from what I yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's high. I mean, but you can go buy that garbage for at Aldi's for a dollar. But uh, it's just real milk, man. You know, no, I'm with you. I'm, now, can you get cream too and uh, butter and apple? Yeah, pies. you can get butter and uh, yeah, apple pies and they got farm eggs. The the cream's sitting about three inches on the top of the half gallon. You can see it when you look at it. So you're you not buying them. cream by the quart, then? Well, no, I can get I can get heavy whipping cream. He sells that too. What? How much is a quart of whipping cream? Uh, I ain't bought it yet. Uh, oh. Just hadn't bought any yet, but I don't know. But I, it, I just you know, I'll get around oh. to it. But he does, he does sell it. I found that out last week. Oh, we were paying nine dollars a gallon for raw milk at homes, and uh, and uh, six dollars for a quart of uh, heavy cream. I'd take the quart of heavy cream, and before I got home, I'd have a quart of it drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that good. <laughs> That's like my I wife. Swear. She does the same thing. She, she oh, I love heavy it. Cream. Show me a man that won't eat cream and butter, and I'll show you a man that's overweight. That's right. That's right. I've seen <laughs> it. That's stuff. You can't it's beat our it. It's got to be good. What's that? I said it's our friend. It's it's part of what land of milk and honey. That's right. Uh, well, uh, down in uh, the Panhandle of Florida, I have a friend down there that works in a, on a place where they milk cows and all and they're selling that stuff down there for raw milk for fifteen dollars a gallon jesus christ yeah yeah you should consider yourself fortunate and i do too i told him man we're doing nine dollars you're doing seven and uh, i'm getting raw eggs too or raw eggs not raw of course they're raw just eggs fresh eggs. <laughs> <laughs> they're not boiled or something 
But uh, no, you can live on that stuff if you have to. Yeah. Got a yeah. source. But. Brent, if hey, you Brent, leave, that makes me feel that makes me feel better, Brent, because we're paying ten dollars a gallon for raw milk down here. Yeah. And the way it works in Florida is there may be some cooperative that can be done, but what we're doing, the people that sell it have to label it as not for human consumption, animal food only. Yeah. With the wink and a nod, knowing that you're going to take it home and drink it. Oh no, that's of what. Of course, it's unpasteurized, raw, unclear. You know, no, yeah. no separations, just raw milk. And every time we go get it, we meet the cows that make it. So you know where it's coming from. That's what they're doing in Indiana too. They're just not for human consumption. They're saying. But right. Well, yeah. I well, down you. in Florida, when I pass the scales, you got to pull over the produce scale. They got to go through your your vehicle and check all your your bill of ladens and what you're hauling. We pull melons out of there early spring and run up here to sell. They're pretty strict down in Florida about uh, agriculture products. I was going to say, if somebody's yeah. looking for something entrepreneurial to do, the people that can go and corner all of this farm produce that was going. To the restaurants that the restaurants are yeah. open and start figuring out some way to get some of that at least into the grocery stores uh-huh you may have a jump on on the new the new america for the next couple of years yeah good point yeah good point. i grew about okay. 10 acres of vegetables it's it's a workout son you get up at 2 30 oh, go yeah. to bed at 8 every day oh yeah got you about eight mexicans and it'll drive your ass crazy yeah <laughs> i promise you Wait, wait, you're hiring Mexicans to help you do truck farming? Is that what you said? Back in 08 to about 12, I grew 10 acres over at Homes and Getwell for a old Davenport farm. I lived on there. Yeah. Cleaned up my track. Oh, he's trying to get it by it. But anyway, Joe let me grow there. and I had 10 acres of vegetables, and and uh, I couldn't handle it all. I think I, you know, head bigger than my stomach, I guess. But I had I had eight hands that showed up and helped me keep that stuff going. And I sold what? all the grocery stores and to the school system. And and uh, yeah, I grew about I don't know. I had about eight thousand, but about eight thousand tomato plants in the front and backyard, and about six thousand squash and zucchini, and a couple thousand okras. And it uh, it's just something I went through. I I wanted to learn it, and I learned it. I'm what I learned out of all of it, you can pull a tomato. It's a lot of work. It's $27,000 an acre if you do it right. You get a case and a half of plant, and when you when you end up about 11000 you're on point. But it, it'll work you to death stringing it and keeping up with it and keeping the rot out of it and packing it. What I learned from some old-timers, you grade your tomatoes by size, pull them, and when it gets a star on the bottom of it where it shoot, starts shooting out red, it'll be a star on the bottom of the tomato right after it busts green you pack it and then you put it in your you know shaded uh, area i was putting it in the garage underneath the house and i had a room up separate to it that was probably 400 square feet when i needed them to turn red i'd put them in there and turn the heat up to about 85 degrees and in a couple of days they'd turn uh, blood red then i'd take them to market but uh you know having to keep up and not knowing that secret and pull them when they're ready you, you don't have a real big window with those type of vegetables. Or squash or zucchini, it's got to be pulled immediately and go to market. But a watermelon, he's your friend. When he's ready, he'll lay there for as long as six, eight weeks before you have to you know, get him gone. Uh-huh. Really. But a watermelon, you only make about three or 4,000 acres. But we do it on plastic drip tape mulch like they do in high production, and it, it doubles your yield. 
and you can on control the, the plant. On the watermelon. Any any vegetable. Any vegetable. You got a system called Rainflow. Better not sell it up there in Pennsylvania and you you, you you take your dirt and you rip it down to the panhandle, you're down the panel for ripper. And then you uh preferably want to do that in fall. You come back after that and you disc it and then you get a tiller and you till it and you want about two foot of powder. So when you run that uh, plastic layer over it, it'll pack that dirt real hard underneath that plastic and it's got a disc on each side that throws it on the end of the plastic so the plastic won't blow up. And you got a water line running through it called a drip tape. And you put it on 12, 15 pound of pressure. You basically feed vegetables uh, potassium one week, twice a week. Then you feed them uh, calcium the next week. The next week you give them triple 15. And that's the process of keeping a vegetable uh, fed. And if it gets sick, you can usually fix it with that water line. It's kind of like an IV in a hospital. And uh, less of blight. You get blight, you got to go to pulling plants because blight will run through you like lightning. You don't get it out of the way. But uh, uh-huh. people tend to overwater stuff, causing their problems with their mm-hmm. vegetables. They don't realize. And you, you know, there's a lot of things to it. I mean, it's it just you got experience. What did old uh, Daryl say? Experience is uh, not getting what you want. You get what you want, you don't learn nothing. But when you don't get what you want, you start learning. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good to know. So when you say 7,000 an acre, you're talking about profit, not growth. No, gross gross sale. You stand up about 11. That's You can get on any of the websites in the state. And they'll, they'll run you from pulling your plastic up when you're through to putting your first transplant down. Or you can plant by seed. But you know, I got a little buggy you set about a half foot off the ground, two seats, and it holds the trays in front of you. You order them out of Mockley, Florida, from the transplanter. And you just ride through there, and that thing pokes a hole, wets it, and you pop your plant in and cuff it. You just ease down through there, and you plant. And after you lay your plastic, that's what we're doing. We're going we're gonna to lay about a quarter acre here, and I'm going to go do an acre for a buddy. And uh, I bought this dirt that Longevity sells. It's a byproduct in 50-pound bags. And the Mennonites got it up in Missouri. And uh, you till it in your dirt, it comes about 3,200 square foot. And they don't sell it as a herbicide, but they say that uh, that when you put this stuff down, it builds the ground up, and your plant produces so much sugar, it's so stout, that when the throp and squash plug hits it, they'll back off and light somewhere else. And I said, well, Jim, why? Why, why? He said, well, well son, they, a, a, a insect like that, a squash and throp, they don't, they don't have a pancreas. Therefore, they know they can't digest sugar, so they just leave it alone. They leave. And so in my mind, it costs you about a 1,000 acre to lay and spray and do gently on vegetables. Well, this stuff's cost-effective, and if it works, I'm going to take it to market and go around and start working uh, vegetable boys and, and sell it. You know, and uh-huh. then I get away from having to spray. Uh-huh. So, so you're getting – yeah, go ahead. It's just something that got in my blood uh, 10, 10, 12 years ago, and I just I love I love fooling with uh, growing vegetables on plastic, and, and you know it's it's uh it's gonna be a way of life down the road for me. I I'm an old body man. I had a body shop and record service. Still got the record service, but I just I I want to get away and, and, and live off the dirt a little bit. Oh, I don't blame you, but it seems like your conclusion is, given the amount of work and all the other factors. To go into it, watermelons is the way to go if you don't want to kill yourself working. Yeah, one man can till the dirt with the right equipment, and then two guys can lay the plastic 500-foot strips and uh, hook it all up, 
And then once it's hooked up, you go back to planting. Uh, two guys riding on the uh, equipment, you go to three. And once you plant it, then you go back to one guy for six weeks. Now he does walk the fields and feed it and uh, uh, check on it. And then when it's time for the grand finale, you get you about ten boys and get you a, get you a cutter and nine pitchers. And you pitch, you cut, you go out an acre and you probably, I don't know, cut 20 melons out of the acre to see where you're where you at, you write the dates down, see where your sweetness is. And if they're ready, then you, you start pitching. And uh, the, way I, the way I do it is, is we pitch and pack in the field in the Gaylord boxes. We don't pitch and then re-pitch. And that's what most of your people do. They pitch and go back to a prefab building that's open. They re-pitch and grade. And I'm going to cut that step out and just grade in the field. And uh-huh. uh, go down through the windrows and and uh, pitch to it. You pitch about twenty minutes, you take a five minute break, and then you pitch, you take about a five minute break. And it's just a it's just a ritual that you go through. Now, when you say pitch, what does that mean? Pitching melons out of the field when you're picking them. Oh. <laughs> you can make a line and you pitch them to each other. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. If somebody's standing on the trailer catching, and somebody's on the ground. You make an assembly line, and the cutter's cutting and pointing. And everybody uh-huh. walks around like a snake, you know, just kind of wiggles through the deal. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Sounds, like a, sounds like a bucket brigade. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, exactly. Patrick, but it'll, I, it'll, I was going to mention, I, you know, I've known this family for 25, 30 years is the reason I know some of this stuff. But there's a really, really interesting fertilizer that, that one of the brothers that I know produces still. And it's an old formula. It was developed back in the 70s by five agricultural PhDs, evidently, in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. There are n- several companies that use the basic formulation, but he it's called, here's the website, pro-soil.com, pro-soil.com. Now, this stuff's got over 90 ingredients in it. It's all organic, and at one point, it has to go through a 30-day, I believe it's 30-day, and it does like chemical cooking, you know, where chemicals are reacting with each other. But that stuff is super highly concentrated. And you can go to the website and look at the farmers. Are you like brushing the front brushing the front porch now, or what? I'm brushing the truck out. We, okay. we got the well. Anyway, the you can see the differential in the roots on farms that were treated with this stuff and it does a lot of the things you were talking about it helps to put microbes in the soil and natural microbes and one of the end the things that it does for whatever it's used on is it increases the sugar content makes it sweeter so you may want to look into that pro-soil.com now he doesn't sell to consumers but uh if you're interested you could probably get some from ray and try it out i bet you'd be thrilled with it i'm sure his business is about to start booming well, i got an ag number i mean i okay i, I, I can buy anything well it's pro pro hyphen dash soil.com is the website and like i said he's i think one of his guys he used to deal with was ron paul's brother or something is on there but there's some pictures of crops that they've treated Soil and crops they've treated with this versus ones that weren't, and the roots go down three to four times as deep. Yeah, well, vegetables <clears throat> are generally shallow. They're going to go about a foot down at most, and spread wide, especially tomato plants. But uh, 
that's good to know. I'll look them up and check it out because yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of running a little bit of little bit of game now. But when I get up to the river, that's what I'm gonna do. Is I'm gonna fool with some cattle and uh, and uh, looking at looking at doing uh, calves, picking them up down in Florida and bringing them bulls back and getting them up and selling them, and then uh, run some head. And uh, of course, I'm gonna do about 150 acres of melons as a plan. You got. You get about you know, 150 acres. You get 66 percent, so you you get 100 acres of melons. And the national average is three an acre, so you, you that's about 300 thousand. If you can't pay your shower and shave and vacation on that, and your your charity work something's wrong. Yep, there's going to be a lot of move. I think for. as we go forward, there's going to be a lot more move, people moving to what I guess you could call the decentralized society. People getting out in the city, getting more self-sufficient, getting their lessons learned from this experience and whatever's in front of us. But we're probably going through between a 10 and 20 year depressed economic cycle. That's right in front of us. I think so. I well, think the market's going to die. When you test a under minimum on top of all of that, yeah. you know, that just kind of exacerbates the whole yep. situation. Sure does. Hey, if, uh, if everybody's willing, can we go back to this idea of being in a national emergency? How do how many redundancies do we need because we've been under a national emergency? Yeah, right. A, so, a soft and silent one for way over 100 years. Almost about 90. About, that. about mean, 90 now. Okay, sorry. Like I, was, I was going clear back to Lincoln, but I don't know that that ever got resolved myself. But regardless, yes, yeah, certainly back to 33. Comment so, is, you know, how many emergencies do you need? Well, <laughs> you stack them up? Does that make them more, wow, we just more lost, emergent? We just lost connection to the server. I don't know why. Hopefully it's going to kick back in. That's pretty unusual. Uh, I'm still here. Not sure what No, no, on. we got the Skype connection. It's the connection to the server. Let me see if I can kick it in again. Yeah, I'm not is on Skype. Uh, Brent's still there? Works, yeah, I'm here. You still there, Brent? Yeah, I, I just... Uh, uh, while while the show was running here, I had a phone call from a customer out in L.A. and uh, he he sells packaging equipment. And we were talking about his business out there. He's a salesman. He says, "Well, their their business is booming." And uh, I said, "Really?" And I said, well, "What kind of client base are you dealing with?" He says, "Food packaging." Yep. And you have you have food packagers who are even in this time right now buying additional really multi-million dollar equipment to expand their food packaging i found this it's kind of an interesting quinketing to sort of segues into this uh this conversation so yeah yep well they're feeling the first brunt of that separation between the restaurants and the grocery stores um Mm. Daryl's growing him, a, building him a greenhouse. Patrick's wanting to go out and do 150 yeah. acres of uh, watermelons. I would imagine other people, hopefully. Brent, did you get started on a little garden up there for you? No, I haven't, but I'm encouraged. I'm trying to find a way to do it and get organized for me. Unfortunate for me. Uh, trying to keep up with um, the the pressures of other people and what they need and want. And I say, how could it, you know, if you have, if you're a husbandman, to use the old word, you're taking care of land and trying to grow crops or 
milk goats or whatever. That's like getting married. You got to get married. That's right. And you got the husband. You got a husband. The land. That's why they call them husbandmen. And uh, same thing's true with animals. If you're not married to them, you're not taking care of them right. Uh, you got to be right with them, and they're like children and and wives. They have to be tended to and taken care of and looked after, and and uh, even have to have their emotional needs met. I know that sounds funny, but if you're not friends with them in some way. Uh, they're not going to produce the way they otherwise would. Take right. a goat, for instance. Right. I think I told you about my experience with goats and how that I'd go outside in the wintertime and they you couldn't keep them in, so they'd be across the road in the briar patches around the draw, and I'd come out. Well, when i come out, they'd be on the porch. <laughs> I'd have to bump them with the screen door to get them out of the way, and they'd jump up. And Now, they wouldn't let me touch them. That, that was... That was uh, that was forbidden in their minds. But then again, they didn't want me to get out of their sight once I came outside of the house. And they slept near the door to wait for me to come out. And then when I came out, they'd go across the road. And they in the wintertime, I don't know how they did this, but they'd strip those briars with those thorns. They'd strip the whole caboodle off, the thorns and the bark and the whole bit, and eat it. Of course, there wasn't anything green to eat. But if I'd be across the road doing something, uh, if they couldn't see me, they'd start whining. And I begin to understand that they want the security of a shepherd. Mm -hmm. Although I didn't look at myself as a shepherd, I guess I was in that sense. And they know, they knew, these are goats, not sheep. They knew they wanted to be able to see me. They're kind of like children. When children get grown, they want mom and dad to be within shouting distance, but they don't want their mom and dad to bother them that much. Well, that's the way goats are. They uh, Now, if I get them in the milk, I had a little milking stand they'd jump up on. I built it out of old oak boards and I'd feed them while they were milking I could milk the old girls but again they wouldn't let me touch their head they didn't like that <laughs> sometimes they'd get away and I couldn't get them to go where I want them to go and what, I was young then and uh, I could get right up close to this one old nanny but she wouldn't let me grab her and I said I was so mad I'm going to wear her down and for about two hours I just kept chasing her and finally, I got close enough, and she got worn down enough that I jumped for her, and I tackled her, and I took her horns, and I was mad. I didn't want to hurt her because we we were friends and all. But I took her horns and just jammed them down, just turned her head sideways and jammed her horns down in the sod. It was soft enough I could jam her horns down in there. And she didn't know any better. She thought she was caught, and she just laid there. And I stood up. <laughs> waited for me to get my breath and then she got hers because I was wore out I thought that teacher let me get close to her when I wanted to and put her where I want didn't do anything, didn't change anything she's a goat <laughs> she's going to do what goats do you know, and she's just like a woman yeah. like a gal, she's got her own she doesn't want me touching her, go ahead Daryl, are you going to say something? Well Brett, yeah, you started telling me this story about goats and I thought you were kidding me <laughs> oh no! This is this uh, is a true story. I milk goats. No, no. What? It, well, kid, goats goats are called kids. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I thought you were kids. What I'm saying. Yeah. No, boy. If you said kids, my grandmother, <laughs> my grandmother would hit the ceiling, and she'd say, um, "Children are children. They're not yeah. kids. Kids yeah. are goats." Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, kids. It's amazing well, how that, well, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you're right about you're right about the animals. They're actually, even the 
the water naturally wild animals around here have gotten to where they're not domestic um, like the deer and different things and even I have turkeys here and uh, I've gotten now they've learned I've been here for 10 years they've learned the crows okay smartest animal in the forest the crows know that I'm not going to bother them now yeah. And they will actually, they will actually let me walk within fifty feet around them, uh-huh. and just going about my business. And they'll just after I after I cut the grass here with the tractor, and they'll eat the grubs and the worms. And they used to fly off, but now they don't uh-huh. because they know I won't bother them. And uh, the the, uh, the turkeys, the turkeys are well, uh, they're not real shy with me now either. They they know I'm not going to bother them, so. Uh-huh. Uh Animals, animals are are in in a lot of ways way more observant and and show a, a native intelligence that's been bred and conditioned out of us. So, oh, you know, down in Texas they do that. Of course, they it's open season on those wild pigs down there, and they're pretty pretty smart critters too. But they somebody's making money down there. They've got this machine. And it has, uh, it's, it's circular, and it has a circular fence on it, but the fence is lifted way up in the air on stilts. Not way up, but high enough the hogs can just walk under it. And uh, you start, you leave it up, and then you start throwing corn out for the hogs. Well, it'll take time. They won't come and eat it right away. They're pretty savvy. But once they start eating it, and then they get comfortable day after day after day, and then you're off at a distance and you're watching tree or something and you hit this electronic device that sends the signal to that thing and that that fence yeah. just drops i mean like that and you got them all well brent yeah brent yeah you know what you just you know what you just described didn't you right there when you were describing that hog hog trap you know what you Ameri- just described americans <laughs> yeah. yeah you 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 just you just described the uh, welfare system mm-hmm. and the social yeah. system in this country, and uh-huh. you you feed the hogs for a while, and then you electronically trap them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that's a good analogy. It works, and you, that's what it is. It, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I it was it was so obvious to me. You were describing the conditioning and tra- you're training the wild hogs. That this is free and it's okay. Yep. And I see people that are in that want and have the security of a government paycheck, like policemen and sheriff's deputies, doing things and saying, well, I'm just doing my job. Well, that doesn't wash with me. Doing your job to violate people's fundamental rights, those are your God-given duties that the Constitution of the United States recognizes and says we're going to protect. You took an oath to uphold those rights, those duties of men, not to interfere. And now when the pissy Annie mayor tells you to go out and arrest somebody who's going to the grocery store or out trying to do some whatever, and you do it and try to justify it and say you're doing your job, no, you're deceived to the point of lying. You're not doing your job. You're violating your oath. Do not obey such directions. I'm appealing to government employees. Grow up. Be adults. Don't let some pervert in government substitute their will for what you know to be true. Their mind for yours. That's tyranny. The courts are closed. Your duty is now heightened 
to mm-hmm. think about your oath and what your duty really is. Back to you. Did yeah. you know out in L.A. You, that when described- they mandated all the closing of the stores that there were some gun shops that refused to close and they didn't do anything about it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, well, what what you're describing, what you're describing is what uh, I observed, uh, oh, well, it's over 20 years ago now, and had a uh, had a long conversation at the airline I worked at uh, huh. with, uh, and uh, what I observed and I brought to their attention uh, because of the malfeasance that was going on uh, in that particular airline at that time, that inside the uh, inside the management and administration and the training department too was I said uh, you have a fundamental problem here I said you're morally defunct and I said uh, you're, you're, you're cowards and I, I'm telling this to them I'm saying this to them and I said uh, what you're doing let me explain to what you're doing here you're managing your careers and not doing your job right and this is what this is what um <clears throat> <laughs> I, I've I've always been a bit of a lightning rod wherever I've been, and if if I fool you enough as an employer that uh, during the interview that you would actually hire me, you'll actually regret it later because uh, I'm just nice to you during the interview. After the interview, uh, I, I'm I'm going to be a rabble rouser. The gloves come off, and uh, but I do my but I I do my job so well <laughs> when I do it that it's really hard to. It's like. How do we get rid of this guy? But we want, we need him. <laughs> and no, that, but I told him, I said, your 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 problem is you're managing your careers. Now this is what this is what uh, judges are doing. This yeah. is what the cops right. are doing. This yeah. is what uh, administrators are managing their careers. Now I, I have to say, I have to say, uh, this is a bit of a rhetorical, snarky question. I, I understand that, but if an illiterate takes an oath, does it count? <laughs> well, no, there's some some truth in that, I'm sure, in some cases. Some people are incompetent. A boy, 17, 18, 19 years old, is incompetent to take such an oath. Well, he's not incompetent to take it. it there's no competence, competency to hold him to it. To execute. That'd be God's plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. But nothing yeah. wrong with taking the oath, but uh, it's not enforceable is what well, I'm saying. Before time gets away from us, Samuel <laughs> took the time to call in, and I took the time to call him back. I want to hear if he's going to bring us any more farm boy stories. I got some more farm boy stuff. <laughs> okay. From uh, Paul, Paul Samets, which is considered one of the greatest mushroom experts in the world, uh, he says there are some 80 miles of fungi mycelia in a single cubic inch of soil, fungi live everywhere on the planet from the coldest to the hottest and the driest to the wettest, and they are all connected and communicating. Um, another professor from uh, Harvard says there's 10 billion bacteria belonging to several thousand different species, almost all of which still are unknown to science. That's in one gram of living compost. I mean, the the system that is out there that God had created is is for us still to discover. And the the Rudolf Steiner was one of the beginners of the organic farming. He he lived from 1861 to 1925, and uh, he started doing this in Germany to get the soils back after the devastation from World War One. 
And his techniques are highly used in agriculture here in California. And uh, it, this stuff about any healthy plant just doesn't get disease on it. I mean, when I'm really taking care of my plants and, I'm, and, the, and they're well-fed and everything, there are, there are no pests. There just aren't. They, they don't go there. Which well, part of California? Where do you live, north or south? I'm around Placerville. Uh huh. So uh-huh. I'm just south of Placerville a little bit. Uh huh. And you're, but you didn't grow up there, did you? No, I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah. Well. Um, and well. Um, that's fascinating. So, what are you growing down there? Are you growing things for yourself or for commercial purposes? I'm just trying to be self-sufficient as I can be. I mean everything. I even built a, a septic system, uh, which works on all this theory here. Um, there's a woman from Massachusetts that 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 started this thing, where where you actually use red worms to compost the uh, the the black water, and uh, and then you've got bile of. Um, fields which are plants and all this is open air this is uh this is not like a septic system where everything gets dark and dank and not dealt with the worms consume all the solids and then it goes through several layers of biofields which are just plants that suck all the nitrogen out of it so the effluent that is coming out of this septic system has no nitrogen in it and 80 90 percent of the human excretions are are nitrogen and that's what gets into our waters and streams and creates all the algae plumes. Right, right. So are, so you, in El, are, you, in El, are you in El Dorado County? Yes. Have you had, so what you're doing is not, the powers that be aren't bothering you at all. Uh, the powers that be don't know about me. <laughs> that's good. Well, I found in California it's just hit and miss. If there was any state that was over-regulated and don't enforce any of it and the shoddiness of all licensed work. I don't care whether you're a lawyer, a roofer, a plumber, uh, a concrete man. It's, the quality of work is the bottom of the barrel in California. Has been for They just want, they just want the fee. They don't want to enforce anything. You're right. They just want the fee. Enforcing it or knowing that you're competent or yeah. whether you do good work or bad work, well, that's the last thing they care about. California is a manure pit. It's getting worse, but I'm glad you're able to get away from it up there in the mountains. Well, you're in the mountains a little, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. I mean, so you, I'm in... in get by, are you... Re- on, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm on the I'm on the mother load. I just off 49. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, well, that's in the mountains there. Are you uh, near Ione? I'm in so between do- Ione and El Dorado. Oh, okay. So you're not you're not doing any placer mining, are you? I just don't have any time. I I live in between two rivers. The American, one of them. Uh, the consumers. Oh, I see. I see. So you haven't been involved in uh, in uh, dredging at all. No, in, in fact, it's illegal in California. Oh, I see. Well, then mine yeah, much, there, yeah. there, there's a lot of gold out there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they, you know, I mean, <laughs> the, the county, you know, Amador County was the biggest yielding county in, in the state. Yeah. Um, that's just south of me here. 
Well, well we're heading into time. listen. We're heading yeah. into another gold rush that some people think is going to be bigger than the one in the 1800s. So you're positioned pretty good, Samuel. Um, outcroppings and and shale and quartz together outcroppings on this property and who knows what's right sitting Uh, underneath my feet you know boy i tell you what (laughs) it'd be worth going and getting yourself a metal detector and getting skilled at that thing you probably have a little bit of fun too uh we're right at the end of the show even with the uh uh drop in the carrier and there's our whistler brent it's commonlawyer.com and you can go to that site and get just about everything you need to know, at least from the interaction with Brent Winters, his weekend activities, how to get his books, little slices of his teachings. And uh, it's all right there at commonlawyer.com. Isn't that right, Brent? Right. Okay, buddy. Well, listen, we'll see what the next two days brings in this fluid situation we're all in. And we'll discuss it again on Monday. I uh, want to appreciate everybody that, and thank you for joining in and contributing. And uh, we'll see you on Monday. How about that, guys? Have a good weekend. Stay home. <laughs> Fat chance. <laughs> uh, wear your masks and flatten the curve. See you on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> in the ground. will swallow you.